how much of this Genesis 4 we can plow through. We covered the first seven verses last week, and uh, we're going to pick up in verse 8 this morning. So if you'll stand with me, those of you who are able, we're just going to read uh, probably to verse 15, and then we'll pray and jump into our text. Genesis chapter 4, verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of your ground. And I shall be hidden from your face, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Father, we come to you this morning, especially those of us, Lord, who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ, recognizing, Lord, that we used to walk in the way of Cain. We were rebellious, or we were murderers at heart, that we were liars and we were haters of you. And yet, Lord, in your grace, you opened our eyes and our ears to see and to hear of our need for you, to see what wretched sinners we were, and Lord, that we had no help, no hope of, of, of saving ourselves. And Lord, you helped us to see what Christ had done for us. And Lord, we're grateful. And Lord, this morning we pray that as we read this story that you would minister to us, minister to those who know you, Lord, to those who don't. Lord, would you open their eyes to see that they walk in the way of Cain, and that, Lord, that they would turn from that and turn to you, that they might be saved and have the hope of eternity, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You all can be seated. So you remember from last week that Genesis 4 begins with this unexpected grace and mercy. Adam and Eve have sinned against God. They have rebelled against him. They have disobeyed him, and they have been driven from paradise. They've been driven from the Garden of Eden. And yet, chapter 4 begins, though they've been driven out from the Garden, it begins with God's grace and mercy upon Adam and Eve, upon these sinners that rebelled against him, his first two children who didn't walk with him. And he gave them a child. And you remember the child's name was Cain. That was their firstborn. And they were filled with hope, Adam and Eve, were filled with such great hope and expectations for this first child that holding this newborn son in their arms, and Eve cries out, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And no doubt she thought that this was, this firstborn son was the fulfillment of the promise that God had given to her in the garden there that from her seed would come one who would crush the serpent, the one who had deceived her in the garden. Wouldn't that have been wonderful if, if it had all been fixed with the firstborn child, that he would have been the Christ? 
But sadly, Cain was not the Christ. He would grow up to be a murderer. And so with chapter 4, it begins, we see the prophecy of Genesis 3.15 that there was going to be this enmity between the serpent and between the woman, between her, his offspring and between her offspring. It begins immediately as they're driven out of the garden and with their firstborn child that this continual conflict between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman was beginning to unfold. The ungodly seeking to destroy the godly. Well, in God's grace, he gave him another son, and that son's name was Abel. And we're told that those young men, as they grow up, that their mom and dad trained them and taught them how to work. Cain became a farmer. Abel became a shepherd. We're also told that their mom and dad invested much time in them, and they became in, in how to worship the Lord. They, they learned how to worship God. And so in the fullness of time, it says in the process of time, that they both brought offerings to God. Cain brought an offering that was um, in line with his vocation. He was a farmer, so he brought the harvest from his field. And Cain, he's a shepherd. He brings a, a, an offering of one of his sheep. And we're told that God accepted Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's. And you remember we talked about that last week in depth, the reason why God accepted one and rejected the other. It really had nothing to do with the type of offering that was brought. Because you also can get that from the, from the fact that where the text there says that the person is mentioned first. Cain and his offering, Abel and his offering. So the offering is secondary to the individual, to their character. It's not really about the offering. It's about the character. It's about the heart of the one who brought the offering. And we know that Hebrews 11 tells us it was by faith that Abel brought his offering and through which he obtained a witness that he was righteous. And so God received Abel's sacrifice simply because... Abel had been born again by the grace of God. He was a worshiper of God because God had changed his heart. Cain, on the other hand, was in rebellion against God. He hated God. He hated God's word. And therefore, his offering was, re was rejected. His worship was rejected because we can't worship God on our own terms. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the condition of Cain's heart becomes very clear as the text goes on. You remember in verse 5 there at the end it says, and after Cain's offering was rejected, that he became very angry and his countenance fell. And God comes on the scene and, and he, could have, he could have just like what he could have done with Adam and Eve when they had sinned. He could have just struck them down. He could have struck Cain down right there in his, in his meanness and his nastiness and his angriness in his hatred toward God and his anger, but he didn't. He comes along as a father, as his heavenly father, and that begins to reason with him. So the Lord said to Cain, he says, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? Why, why are you being ruled by anger? I mean, we can see it all over your face, Cain. You're angry that I didn't accept your offering. He says, if you do well, it doesn't mean if you bring me a better sacrifice, 
But that simply means, he says, if you do well, you'll be accepted. If you come the way that Abel comes, in humility, recognizing your need, that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, that I'm a holy God, there's only one way to come to God. And that's through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, no man can come to the Father except through the Son. See, Abel came one to come his own way. And that's the way that many people try to come. Many religions try to come their own way. Many of us try to come our own way. We try to come the way of Cain through works, our own efforts, our own righteousness. But it will always be rejected. But yet here, God in his grace tries to reason with Cain. It's really a gospel invitation. It's a gospel opportunity for Cain. Cain, you're coming the wrong way. Cain, there's something wrong with your heart, and it's manifested all over your face. And so he reasons with him. And he says, if you do not do well, Cain, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Cain, you're about ready to let this anger master you. This anger toward me, this jealousy toward your brother, this hatred that you have that's going on in your life, you're about ready to open the door, and it's like a wild beast standing outside the door, and it's going to pounce on you, and you think that you can control it, but you can't control it. You think you can master it, but you can't master it. See, sin is so deceptive, so deceptive. We think that we can walk through this door of sin, whatever it might be, and that we're going to be okay. We're going to, we're going to fare that well. We're going to walk through it, and everything's going to be just fine. I can handle it. I can do it. Show me one sinner who has walked through that door, opened the door of sin, and fared well. There's none. And we've all been in different types of sin, and it doesn't end well. Scripture says the way of the transgressor is hard. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is what? Death, destruction, exactly. It never ends well. It's so, sin is so deceptive, church. And we've all lived that firsthand. And so here we have great compassion for Cain as God is reasoning with him. Don't go that way. Don't open the door. Don't give in to it. Don't let it master you because it's going to rule over you. But you, I've called you to have dominion. You're to have dominion over that. And though God graciously warned Cain, sadly, Cain doesn't heed his counsel, as it is often with us, isn't it? You warn people because you love them, because you care about them. But you can't make them heed your counsel. And I find comfort here that even God the Father, who reasons with his children way better than you and I possibly could, could ever possibly do, and yet... Cain doesn't receive it. He doesn't heed his counsel. He's cold and he's indifferent to the word of God. This was a great opportunity. He was calling him to repentance, but he rejects it. He's cold and he's indifferent. And, and, and so it says there that Cain, verse 8, talked with Abel, his brother. So he leaves this conversation with God. And in the course of time, he pulls Abel aside. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. 
Did Cain master sin or did sin master him? Did Cain master his anger and his jealousy? No, it mastered him. And this was premeditated murder. It says, when they were in the field, that means away from mom and dad. He had thought about this. It had consumed him. He was looking for the opportune time. He hated his brother. He was jealous of his brother, that God would accept him, but he wouldn't accept Cain. And Cain rose up against Abel. And not only was this homicide, first-degree premeditated murder, but it was also fratricide. Cain had murdered his little brother. And you think about mom and dad at that point. He's got, Cain has no concern for anybody but himself. And here is mom and dad. No doubt they're grieving. And they're grieving their own sin that brought this about, right? And they're going back with all the regrets that they've had for their failure to obey God's word when the original fall happened. No doubt, I'm sure they took a lot of blame upon themselves. You know, that's what we do. And we have all these regrets when we sin. And those regrets are something, though we're forgiven and we receive the grace of God, those regrets we pack with us the rest of our lives. Certainly, Adam and Eve would have desired to spare their children from that. So he murdered his little brother and, you know, doesn't tell us how he did the dastardly deed. This was before the time of guns or bombs that depersonalized, you know, that would have depersonalized the murder of his brother. So how did he do it? Did he, did he you know, take a rock and crush the skull of his brother? Did he choke him with his bare hands? Did he, did he take Abel's sacrificial knife and slit his throat with it? We don't know. But we do know this in the end, that Cain killed him with his bare hands. And why did he kill him? Because he hated Abel? Yes and no. He did hate Abel. He hated him because God accepted his sacrifice. But, but ultimately, he hated God. That was the motive for killing his brother. We're told in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, that Cain was of the wicked one, and he murdered his brother. In other words, he was of his father, the devil. That's what caused him to murder his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. He murdered him because of jealousy, but he ultimately murdered him because of his hatred toward God, that God would not accept Cain on his terms. You'll accept my brother, but you won't accept me. I want to come my own way, and I, am, I hate you because you won't let me come to you the way I want to come. And here, as I said before, this is, this is the, the unfolding of the prophecy of Genesis 3.15, uh, the, 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 strike, the, the serpent strikes quickly at the seed of the woman, the first children born. And here the serpent strikes to try to prevent the fulfillment of the prophecy of 3.15 because he doesn't want there to come from the seed of a woman, one who's going to rise up and crush the head of the serpent. So the serpent is proactive. He's trying to take down the seed of the woman. Well, Cain's horrendous act may have been far from the eyes of his parents. They weren't around to see it, to witness it, to know about it. 
but it didn't go unnoticed by God. Then the Lord, verse 9, said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. He said, am I my brother's keeper? What arrogance, right? I mean, here's God coming to Cain. And he could have just struck him down again, but here's God again coming in his grace and mercy, trying to reason with Cain, trying to talk with Cain. And God asks a question, where is your brother? Not because God doesn't know, but God is omniscient, right? He knows everything. But he's trying to reason with Cain. He's trying to bring about a confession from Cain. You remember when he went to Adam and Eve in the garden after this? He said, what have you done? Why, why are you hiding from me? You know, he knew, why, he knew where they were. He knew what they had done, but he wanted to elicit a confession from them. And, and he says, where are you? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? I mean, he lies to God. So not only is he a murderer, but he's a liar. Do you see him more and more becoming like his father, the devil, who is a murderer and a liar? And instead of fearing God, Cain begins to question God. I mean, that's, that's bold. That, that's, that's arrogant. To, to put God on the witness stand and begin to question him. And his bold, defiant, rebellious uh, response reveals a heart that's calloused. Do you see more and more why God rejected his offering? It wasn't because it was of the fruit of the field. It was something was desperately wrong in, in Cain's heart. It hadn't been changed. That heart of stone hadn't been taken out and given a heart of flesh. And, you know, in the answer to the question that God gave to Cain, he's, you know, and Cain says, am I my, where's your brother? He says, am I my brother's keeper? What's the answer to that? Yes. Yes, we are our brother's keeper. Why? Because we are all made in the image of God. Doesn't matter what our skin color is. Doesn't matter what our political affiliation might be. It doesn't matter what country we're from. It doesn't matter whether we're believers or unbelievers. We're all made in the image of God, and we do have a responsibility for one another. And that, that applies to the family, that applies to society, that applies to the church. And that responsibility is we're not to act like Cain. We're not to hate. We're not to murder. But we're to love one another, right? Isn't that the second table of the law? Where the first table is to love God. The second table is to, to, to love others. That's our responsibility. We are our brother's keeper. We have a responsibility to one another. That's why he puts us in this thing called a family and, and, and a thing called the church, the body of Christ. And we're not just to be these lone rangers within a family or within a church, but we have a responsibility to one another to pursue them because we love them and we care about them. And ultimately, that's, that's what our greatest responsibility is, is if we're, all, if we're believers, then we help one another grow in the grace and knowledge of who, we, of who Christ is, right? We want to spur one another on in the faith. That's why we gather here. That's why Jason and the team lead us on Sunday morning so that we can, we can grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. That's why we teach in here. We teach in our, ch- our children because we want them to, to know Christ and to grow in him. And then if we're not believers, what is our primary responsibility? The gospel, isn't it? To go and make disciples because we love them, because they're made in the image of God. And they're where 
you and I used to be, right? We were bent on destruction. We were bent away from God, and then God, by his grace, drew us to himself, and he saved us. And we want to see them saved. We want to see them forgiven. We want to see them have the hope of eternal life with Christ. Yes, we do have a responsibility to one another. And God displays that wonderfully as he relates to his own offspring here. And so now we see the voice of God begins to thunder over Cain. And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Doesn't that kind of strike you that the, the, you know, Abel's blood has been spilled on the ground and his brother has murdered him? And yet, though Abel is dead, that his blood still cries out. It still speaks. And the fact that the, the blood of the victim cries out means that there is someone for it to cry out to, doesn't it? It doesn't just cry out into a vacuum, into nothingness but it cries out to God. Isaiah 26, verse 21 says this, For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. So the Lord comes out of his place. The blood is spilled, and the Lord hears the cry. Though the victim is dead, the cry goes on. Abel's cry couldn't be silenced. It was a cry to the supreme court of heaven for justice. It demanded justice for the slain. And and Abel becomes the first Christian martyr. He's murdered for his faith, isn't he? He's murdered for his faith in in God. And God here says, because the blood cries out to me, God, he's going to hold the perpetrator accountable for his actions. And maybe you've had things done against you. And maybe our courts didn't do the best job to protect you and to care for you and to bring you justice. Scripture says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. God will repay. God will deal with those things. The cry can't be silenced, demands justice, and our God is a just God. Well, Cain has committed murder homicide and so now the sentence for his homicide is is meted out in verse 11 god says so now you are cursed from the earth now that's important you remember when adam and eve sinned god cursed the ground she was going to you know have to uh, experience pain in childbirth but he never cursed their person but you remember the serpent, Satan. He did curse him, didn't he? So now with, with Cain and his sin, God's cursing him, which says once again that he is of his father, the devil. He doesn't, he doesn't escape the curse. And what is the curse? Your curse from the earth, which was opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. So because you've spilt this blood on the ground, the ground is cursed because of you, even more so than what the curse was on Adam. And when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Cain is cursed to be a nomad, a vagabond, a wanderer, 
wandering from place to place to place, just trying to eke out an existence. And the ground, because he spilt blood on it, is going to make it even more difficult for him just to scratch out an existence, to make ends meet for the rest of his life. This was a heavy consequence and punishment for his sin. So how does Cain respond to the judgment of God? Once again, you would have thought that here's a great opportunity, Cain. Fall on your knees. Cry out to God. Be merciful to you, a sinner. Recognize your need for him. This is one hard man. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. And I shall be hidden from your face, and I shall be a fugitive and vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. Cain is devastated by the punishment that's been meted out upon him, but, the pun- but, the, but it doesn't lead him to repentance. It's a, it's a worldly sorrow. He has no compassion. You know, notice what's missing here. There's no, God, forgive me, I have sinned against you. There's no acknowledgement that I have sinned against my brother for killing him. There's no acknowledgement of his parents and and the pain and the grief that he's caused them by his horrendous act. His cry is one of self-pity. He is consumed with himself. And worse yet, Here's a man who has no fear whatsoever of God. But only his only fear, he has fear of one thing, that someone would come and avenge his death. And maybe the question in your mind is, well, who would that be? I mean, there's only Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Abel's dead. Well, we're told in chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, that Adam and Eve have many more sons and daughters. And we know that the story of Cain and Abel is passed on down from generation to generation. And they're going to hear that story. And they're going to run into him one day. And they're going to want to avenge Abel's death. And he's fearful. Cain is fearful that that's going to happen. That one of his relatives is going to want to kill him for what he's done to Abel. And he tells God, this is too much. I can't bear it. And yet blows my mind, God hears Cain, and he responds to him. He didn't say, just suck it up, man. You did the crime, do the time. This is what it is. Don't get me wrong. I don't think he, was, he wasn't lenient on, on, on him because he didn't, he didn't wink at his sin. He didn't reduce the punishment, so to speak. But notice how he responds. In verse 15, the Lord said to him, therefore, listen, you're worried about someone coming along and and killing you because of what you did to Abel? Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. God promised Cain that anyone who sought his life to take his life would be severely judged. And then he takes and he puts some type of a mark you know, on Cain, uh, some type of a distinctive sign that, that would ward off any vigilante or any you know, blood avenger uh, and, and keep them from killing Abel, I mean Cain. 
So what exactly was the mark? The word mark there, it means sign or it means oath. Uh, And listen, there has been so much speculation about what this mark was. I'll just give you just a few. One of them is, you know, and, and, and maybe it was simply an oath. Maybe it was just a verbal promise that God made to, to, to Cain that I'm not going to let anyone avenge your death. You're going to live a long, full life. Basically, you're going to serve a life sentence for what you've done. I often wonder if it had been better for him to have died a premature death than to live all that time in rebellion against God. So it could have been a verbal promise. Some, uh, the ancient rabbis, said it was the first tattoo that was given, some type of a mark on him. Some have even speculated it was the number 666. And uh, um, uh, Some of the rabbis said it was some type of a special hairstyle. I don't know if it was a mohawk or a flat top. I don't know what it would have been. Um, but they've given all different things. One rabbi said that he believed it was a horn that began to grow out of a of, uh, uh, Cain's forehead, listen, that, that would scare me off. I mean, if I ran into a guy like that, I'd stay far away from him. He'd put your eye out. Good thing I got my safety glasses on. Um, some said that he became, uh, he became a, the, you know, the, the father of a race of giants, you know, kind of like a Goliath or something like that. Uh, one of the ancient rabbis said that it was uh, that the mark was actually a dog. It was a dog that accompanied Cain that wherever he went and, and it frightened off his attackers. You know, maybe like a bull mastiff, you know, with a big spike collar or a pit bull. Or something. I'd keep I'd keep uh, Avengers away. And then there's this really bizarre modern heresy uh, that the curse that God put on Cain was dark skin. Have you heard that one? Very very prevalent. It gained popularity in Europe and in America in the 1700s through the early 1900s. And it was a means of legitimizing, you know, this this theory was a means of legitimizing uh, discrimination against black people and uh, legitimizing slavery. Listen, let me just put it. Dark skin is not the mark of Cain. It's just foolish. It's heretical. It's wrong. Notice the text says nothing about Cain being marked with dark skin. Nor does it say anything about his offspring becoming, uh, you know, having dark skin. Also, if the mark was dark skin, how do you explain the fact that dark-skinned people you know, the, well, the existence of dark-skinned people today, when Cain's line would have died out of the flood. But yet there are still dark-skinned people today. Furthermore, the cradle of civilization is the Middle East, right? That's the birthplace of mankind. White people, they are not. So the mark of Cain is not dark-skinned. So, you know, and that was really made popular in the Book of Mormon, which is still in today. And uh, But anyway, just a tragic... Um, foolish way to justify sin. Whatever the mark was, we we can only speculate, it was purely an act of God's mercy. Cain is still cursed. He's separated from his parents because that's what sin does. He's separated from God. Sin, that's what, that's what sin, you know, sin brings, the wages of sin is what? Death. And death means separation. Separated from everything that was, that was good and right. 
And yet, it's mercy because he's still guarded by God. He's not abandoned by God. I like what one commentator said. One commentator said, he said, he says, this is the utmost mercy that God can do for an unrepentant sinner. And I think that's well said. You're separated from me. You're separated from every good thing. But I'm not going to let someone take your life. Make no mistake about it. You see, Cain, Cain wanted to live in rebellion against God, but yet still have fellowship with God. You cannot do those things simultaneously. You cannot live in rebellion against him and and enjoy fellowship with him. It is impossible. Well, bearing the gracious mark of protection, Cain left Eden full of disdain and anger toward God. There's no repentance. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and he dwelt in the land of Nod. I do not know where the land of Nod is. I do see that some of you all in here go there often on Sundays. But I don't know where it's at personally, um, geographically anyway. So he went out to the land of Nod, east of Eden, and Cain knew his wife. And once again, the question is, well, where'd this woman come from? Abel's dead. Well, back to Genesis chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, is that Adam and Eve had more sons and daughters, and, and they populated, I mean, very quickly. I mean, these people, Adam lived to be, what, 900 and some years old, and, and Eve too, and so they had a lot of kids. So this might have been, you know, one of his, Adam and Eve's daughters. It may have been uh, one of uh, Cain's nieces. We don't know. But at that time, the, you know, the gene pool is, is, is pretty pure at that point. It's not corrupt. It was not a big problem. Later on, we'll see that God is going to forbid, you know, this marriage, this incest type of thing that becomes sin later, but not at this point. So he goes out to the land of Nod. He knew his wife. She conceived and bore Enoch, and he built a city and called the name of the city after his son Enoch. So he wandered for a time, just as God had told him he would. He would be a vagabond upon the earth. And then, do you notice there, does this strike you as odd that he settles down? He settles down He has a family, he gets married, he has a son, he has a son Enoch, and he builds a city. That was, was, I don't know how you read that, I read that as this. That is is a defiant, in-your-face, God, you told me I was going to be a wanderer, I am not going to do it. That guy was defiant until the end. I will live my life not according to your word but in the way that I see fit. Now, why would God allow Cain to build a city, a city founded upon a defiant hatred for God? Perhaps it could be attributed to what we call common grace. Jason alluded to it in his prayer, closing prayer this morning. For God makes it to rise, his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. That is common grace, meaning that God's grace is common to all people at all times and all places, that God is good to all people, whether they're righteous or unrighteous, whether they're godly, whether they're wicked. He is good to all people. He blesses all kinds of people, doesn't he? We, we just experienced this past few weeks with the rain, haven't we? Let me ask you, we live in California, one of the most liberal, God-hating states in the, in the, in the, in the union. 
do we deserve the rain that we've gotten? Do we deserve the break from the drought? No, but that's God's common grace. He lets it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The sun is now shining for the next few days to dry us out. We don't deserve that. He lets all people experience good food, good relationships, marriage, children, gifts and talents, government to restrain evil. And those blessings, though, are simply temporary. They're not eternal blessings. And in God's common grace here, what does he do for Cain? He allows this unrepentant sinner, he allows him to marry, he allows him to have children, he even allows him to settle down, even though it's in defiance against God's revealed will for Cain's life. Listen, this is the closest thing that Cain will ever experience to heaven. And it's God's common grace that he does that for sinners. Well, as the ungodly line grows, we'll have to catch up on that next week because it is time for me to stop. And we'll talk about, we'll finish up next week with these two ways of life, Cain and Abel, the way of the righteous and the way of the unrighteous and what that looks like. And yet we'll also see a great picture in Cain's life and the life of his children of God's common grace abounds toward his family. And we'll talk about that. But for now, we're going to pray, and then we're going to take our intermission, and then we're going to have the baptism. So let's stand and have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, our time and your word this morning, Lord. And Lord, if there's one thing I know that I walk away this morning, Lord, just humbled that I was like Cain. Lord, I was a sinner. I was living in rebellion against you. And Lord, though I didn't, with my mouth, profess hatred towards you, Lord, I certainly hated your word and, Lord, wanted to live life on my own terms and wanted heaven on my own terms. And yet, Lord, you came as you did with many of us and you opened our eyes, Lord, to see the error of our ways that we were walking in the way of Cain. And Lord, you took out the heart of flesh, the heart of stone, and gave us the heart of flesh. Lord, you did for us what we could never do for ourselves. It was a work of your amazing grace. And Lord, even today as we celebrate with these individuals that are going to be baptized, Lord, it is a celebration of your sovereign grace over sin abounding. It is a celebration, Lord, of the work of Christ, Lord, that he came, the seed of Eve, of the line of Seth, to crush the serpent's head, to end that perpetual conflict by which you would save many. So, Lord, we rejoice in Christ and his grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let those baptismal people go get their clothes changed.